and I would just use this sort of energy meter as a way to, to make decisions. And, you know, it became pretty clear kind of halfway through my McKinsey time that I love changing the game, right? I love being an impact player. I love seeing people themselves come to aha moments about what we should be doing or how to do something, you know, the difference between strategy and ops. And um, I love being sort of a galvanizing character that, that brought people together to accomplish something that might be challenging. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. As always, we have an incredible guest for you today. His name is Bradley Stewart, and he is a CEO of a company called FAIR, a soft bank portfolio company. And before joining FAIR, Brad was a chairman and CEO at ExoJet, the largest on-demand private jet services company in North America. And during his time there, Brad oversaw a highly complex and regulated business with three separate business units. One was the aircraft fleet ownership and operations. Two, the branded direct-to-consumer brokerage with membership and subscription options as well as the third one, which was shuttle operations. He led ExoJet's turnaround. He forexed the growth and eventually sold to a strategic acquirer for a sector record price. And in concurrence with his role as ExoJet CEO, Brad was a senior advisor at TPG Global, a leading alternative asset manager, where he served on the board of directors for multiple TPG investments. And prior to his tenure at ExoJet and TPG, Brad was the vice president at Parthenon Capital, a leading mid-market private equity firm and also a consultant at McKinsey & Company. Brad received his bachelor's in corporate finance from the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management, as well as his MBA from Columbia Business School. Good morning, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us today. How's your day going so far? Awesome. Dropped my kids off at school, had a Starbucks, caught up with an old friend. All good. Love it. Um, Thank you so much again. And we have a lot to unpack today. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, This has been a long time coming. So thank you again. What I want to start off with is the fact that you have been doing something incredible, taking over a company in, in dealing with this pandemic right now. And I'm just curious, there's so many CEOs right now going through a ton and figuring things out and how to really navigate this period of time. If you reflect even over the last six months as you've kind of endeavored through this, 
what has stood out to you? What's been the most surprising part about like trying to navigate through this entire debacle? It's a great question. Um, you know, first off, I feel blessed in that my former company was very distributed. Uh, so we had, you know, headquarters in New York and LA and we allowed our employees already to live anywhere they wanted. So I have a little bit of preparedness, I guess, around this idea of distributed leadership. Uh, but I don't know if anything can fully prepare you for joining a company where you've really never met any of your employees. Um, and so I think, you know, human beings innovate. We all learn and grow as, as we face challenges. But I think the biggest one, the one that is the hardest to really resolve is how much human to human connection is amplified when you're in the room with someone. And there's, there's a one-on-one -on -one aspect to that, things like you and I are doing. And then there's also like a, a big group aspect, town halls and, you know, big forum executive staff meetings and stuff. And I think, I don't know whether it's biological or something, but when you're with people in person, they can feel your energy so much better. And you can also sense things that maybe resolve only through a little bit of probing. Um, and so that's probably been the biggest, um, I mean, we, we kind of know it to be true, but you only feel it when you don't have that tool to, to develop. Um, and that's the part I think about leadership right now in this pandemic that I'm missing the most is that ability to really forge true, true deep connection that I think is, is maybe only possible when you're with someone. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point that we're kind of missing that vibration, that energy when we step into a room with people or even that pre-meeting banter and chatter that happens. It's just not there anymore. But again, we can't hold on to the excuses that exist and we have to plow forward, especially leading a company. So what have you been doing now? And really, what's your advice to people around how to connect better, right? There's there's so many different articles and newsletters and podcasts, but what is Brad's personal preference on connecting with people, whether it's you leading the meeting or you just stepping in and observing? Like, what is that thought process? There's, there's three or four, maybe five themes that have jumped out at me. <clears throat> um, the, the first is you have, you have to increase your cadence. Um, and so, for example, like my executive staff, which is probably 12 or 13 people, we're meeting twice a week, whereas before I would have met once a week with them. The second is you have a lot of modern technology tools at your disposal that you might not have had before. So for me, text is a huge thing. Um, also, just picking up the phone and checking in on people, that's another one. Um, you know, I think being more vocal, like choosing to say the unsaid. Um, and so, you know, one of our two executive staff meetings a week, it's just me sort of riffing on the things I'm seeing or the things I'm working on. And um, I think a lot of that would have just kind of come in more informal ways before, but I understand now that I don't have those informal tools. So you've got to create a forum to just kind of download um, and express. Um, this fourth one I think is a little bit perhaps controversial is you, you've got to go to more of a formalized hierarchy. So um, in my old company, we had you know, several hundred employees. Like I, I felt like I had a, a personal connection with many of them. And you, because I saw them and felt like you could create these nodes of, of impact. Because I don't have that anymore, I've, I've sort of challenged our executive team that they've got to build their own teams and they've got to cascade their own energy. 
And I think after, you know, call it 10 or 15 people, a human being just can't do that in a one-on-one -on -one way. And so you've got to lean on, you know, these department leaders in ways that I haven't had to before. Um, and so like, I've really dedicated my own energy to the people um, that are on my direct team and then challenge them to do the same with theirs. Uh, those, are, those are a handful of examples. There, there are others. Um, and I think, you know, the optimist in me feels like it's developing skills and capabilities that even if we were to go back to, a, to an old world normal, um, I would use some of them. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of takeaways through this period of time. And those lessons that we learn are invaluable, right? They should only strengthen us over time. And I like the fact that you have a very clear leadership approach to how to manage this pandemic because there's no playbook, right? There's no book that you pick up or download on Amazon and, and go run with it and implement it. So it's a little bit of intuition. And I intentionally started with that question of surprise, partly because it demonstrates who you are as a leader. And now I really want to understand kind of the backdrop to it and how you got to where you are today, because you're leading your second company right now. And it's a very different beast, right? You're stepping in at a difficult time, but there's so much that has led up to this point and has helped you become who you are. And if you think about, right, the pandemic is probably one of the most challenging lessons for a lot of people right now. But if you reflect on your experience, your career, can you kind of share one of those important moments that you reflect on that really helped shape who you are? Maybe it was a challenging moment, maybe it was a layoff, whatever it might be, what was that for you? And how did you persevere through it? Mm -hmm. Well, there are so many of them. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to pick one. I, I'm a big believer that you're sort of learning every moment, every day. And so um, I've tried to sort of almost dampen the impact of any one moment in the storyline. But, you know, I think, you know, the first time you're accountable for an organization, um, my old McKinsey engagement manager would call it the, <clears throat> the monkey on your back, right? Um, and I didn't really know what he meant by that until it, it happened to me it's all of a sudden like this kind of weight sits on you. And for me, that moment was a business that I stepped into when I was a VP at Parthenon Capital. You know, we were a control-oriented mid-market private equity firm. And it was a turnaround. It was very similar to a lot of the situations I've been in, both before and after. And, and I sort of became the guy, right, or the person. And, you know, quickly transferred for me what had been sort of words on paper and numbers and spreadsheets to this feeling like if I make a mistake, it impacts people's lives. And I think that's been a primary sentiment I've taken forward over the last well, almost 15 years, that um, leadership is a tremendous accountability. It comes with a cool title. Sometimes it comes with fun compensation and perks. But in reality, if you don't love that feeling of influencing the outcome and you aren't comfortable with the good and bad that comes with it, you really shouldn't be in that situation. Um, and I've seen a lot of leaders as I've studied them, talked to them. You know, I think some people really embrace that accountability and others don't. Absolutely. And as you're studying some of those leaders or have studied throughout your career, are there any that kind of 
always are your go-to folks to either try to emulate or learn more about? Who are those key people for you that you might look up to as a mentor? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm blessed with a lot of them. And, and I think mentorship, <clears throat> excuse me, can come in many ways, even, even from people who have reported to me in the past or I've hired, you know, sometimes their wisdom and their life, their life skills are astounding. I mean, you know, you don't need to be old or totally experienced or, you know, have a big title to be a mentor to someone. You know, I'm, I'll name one that's a popular name, John Donahoe. Um, I don't know him real well and he doesn't know me real well, although he, he gives me the impression he does. And at certain inflection points, I've gone to John and, and sort of asked him for guidance on how to think about life and balance and things like that. Uh, and then Chris Shu is another one. You know, if you are looking for more people to add to your podcast, I would. Chris is unbelievable. Um, Chris was a mentor of mine at McKinsey. He's been a mentor of mine when he was at KKR and I was at Parthenon. He's a mentor to me now today. He's also just a great friend. And and the clarity of his thinking. Um, combined with his life principles, combined with his experience, you know, in tough situations, like, and he's just the best of mentors, right? He's humble in the sense that he, he knows he's not in the moment you're in, but he's got so much wealth of knowledge and, and sort of guidance. And he's, he's comfortable being wrong, which I think is, is, is important in leadership and in mentorship. You gotta, you know, just listening or just, you know, sharing broad platitudes sometimes is helpful. And that's all sometimes people really need. But really, you know, when you face a crucible moment, to have somebody who's been there or been in a similar situation say, here's how I thought about it, it's incredible. Um, Chris, is, Chris is in particular someone who stands out, but I've, I've got a lot of them. I love that. It seems like you have an arsenal of people that you've met over time and kind of tap on them as well. And it seems like these individuals particularly have a great deal of self-awareness as well. They provide recommendations, but they might not make the right assumptions or the conclusion isn't what they thought necessarily. And that's often this kind of, uh, I don't know, like a mystery, right? For a lot of CEOs that they think they'll have everything figured out or they have the right people to tap onto and you're just not always going to make the right decision. So I think a lot of young professionals who are looking to go into leadership at some point have to recognize that the executives, the mid-level management, they don't have it all figured out and they never will. And it's always a little bit of a trial and error, but you hit on something that's so crucial to remember, which is if you wanna go into leadership, you have to love leading. You have to love envisioning what the end result is rather than being told, hey, the well is over there, go walk 15 feet and you'll drink water, right? You have to envision how do you get to that pathway and develop it yourself. And that's such a critical component. Even when I was in leadership um, at WeWork, it's, it's again, it's a huge reflection on the fact that it takes time to process what leadership looks like. You might be a really, really solid individual contributor, but to shift gears and step into that leadership role is a completely different job description right you're doing something completely different altogether so i think i'd love to really understand at what point i know you spent a little bit of time early on in your career in consulting and that's always a really really good launch pad for uh leadership roles down the road but what would be your advice to somebody who's especially stepping maybe out of college right now and thinking about what should I do for my future, especially if it's somebody who's super hungry, super ambitious and motivated and really wants to excel? 
what's your advice to them on how to approach their career um, in terms of just, hey, I want to go into leadership one day. What are some good avenues for them? Yeah. Well, I think I, I, ha I have these conversations with people a lot. And, and I always start by saying, well, there's a lot of different paths. So let me help you think through yours. Um, and so I usually ask a couple of questions like, do you have something that draws, draws you? You know, it could be a sector, it could be an industry, it could be a function. Um, help me think about what draws you to leadership. Like, is it a, is it a like grandiose thing or is it, you know, you've been drawn to, to great stories where somebody on a team or in an expedition, for example, like stepped up. Um, and more often than not, <clears throat> you just get young people not knowing. And so in that situation, I say, go get a lot of experience. And that's why I think consulting or banking or you know, I'm sure there's, you know, tech organizational roles where you just see a lot of stuff. Um, and when I say see a lot of stuff, I see industries, see functions, see, see people, see leaders. And I then tell them there's this idea of kind of a still small voice in your head. And what I think is powerful is that when you see stuff you like and you're attracted to, it usually pings. Like, I like that. I want more of that. And when there's just stuff that drains your energy or you're not into, the, the opposite will happen. And I tell folks, like, if you do that for three or six or nine years, kind of leading up to your, to your 30th birthday, you should build, if you're paying attention to the still small voice, you should build kind of a pattern recognition of what drives you. And the sooner you can start following those paths, the better off you are. Um, because I think greatness and just life fulfillment, joy, is drawn by doing things that excite us. Um, and so if you feel yourself falling in love with an industry or a sector, or you feel yourself falling in love with a function, or you feel yourself falling in love with leadership, just run towards that, right? Start getting more and more reps. Um, and then, you know, this idea of mentorship, you know, you gotta have champions. You gotta have people that will carry you, right? Who will train you, who will lead you, who will invest in you. And I think that's what your 20s is all about, really. Um, sort of building that, <clears throat> awareness and those relationships and you know a little bit of cred um you can decide if you want a master's or not like that but um i i tell people who i think are high potential try to be in a position by the time you're 30 to have a point of view to have a perspective on where you're going if you don't by then time's a ticking totally agree with you and there's so many directions we could take this and we'll we'll kind of break it apart in a few different ways but First of all, you're right that your 20s is a time to explore and really take on new opportunities, new roles. I would argue that uh, no matter what industry you're in, just say yes to things. You don't know what opportunities will be in front of you. I think over time, and as you obviously mature and get older, you start to hone in on where you draw that energy and where when you wake up, you realize this is what I was meant to do. And it becomes actually easier to wake up in the morning and you realize like, I'm so energized by the fact that I, I'm going out there and doing exactly what I'm aligned with. And that's so powerful. I think as you and I, um, we're irrelevant of age, but as we were kind of going through our own twenties experience, I think there's different things that are available now for a lot of people in their 20s to maybe amplify that experience. Particularly, I'm curious, is there a way that you detailed out what you like to do or is it just purely a gut feeling for you? It's this tension between kind of the linear path that 
is easy to define in retrospect versus you know the random walk of serendipity which you know a lot of very wise people believe in right just keep doing good things keep working hard and the theme that i keep telling people is is and for me it worked was to run towards things that were energizing me and so across deloitte post business school mckinsey into private equity and ultimately to ceo of exojet um i just kept saying yes to stuff that called to my heart and when you know i would feel excited or i would feel like i can't not do that i would say yes and i wouldn't evaluate it too much um some of the you know consulting engagements i had were just super exciting and stimulating and um i think over time as i would look back on on the decisions and the experiences i would start to see patterns and themes emerge um and i would just use this sort of energy meter as a way to, to make decisions and you know it became pretty clear kind of halfway through my mckinsey time that i love changing the game right i love being an impact player i love seeing people themselves come to aha moments about what we should be doing or how to do something you know the difference between strategy and ops and um i love being sort of a galvanizing character that that brought people together to accomplish something that might be challenging so throughout that experience it became clear to me that at some level i had to be you know not necessarily a ceo but someone who was accountable for leading an organization. Um, and I'd like to say it was a lot more intentional than, than it was, but I don't, I don't know if you can have that intentionality for the right reasons, right? I think you can read a book and say, oh, you know, I want to be that. But if it's coming from your heart, you have to experience it and be drawn to it. Um, and even a lot of successful people, I think, that you know, ultimately vacate a profession if you ask them honestly, did you like it? Did you want to do it? Was it was it something you fell into and you know really enjoyed, or was it something you fell into and made a lot of money? Um, sometimes it's it's both. If we're being honest with ourselves, I agree with you. I think the odds on that are fairly slim, though, in terms of just falling into a profession that necessarily is exactly what you draw energy from. Um, I've personally had the experience of talking to people early in my career when I was working at an electric utility company and they told me I made it and this is the right place to be for me for the next 30 years. And again, I, I think that thought process maybe is a little bit antiquated because it's it provides stability, it provides comfort. And I think in today's world where we have the opportunity to go experience, to go explore and to have this like radical self-inquiry process where we deeply think about what do we care about and what do we want to do and explore new opportunities with the access to resources. Uh, it just never made sense to me to stay anywhere for such a long period of time. I hope that there are people that find that, but I think that as you're mentioning, understand what you draw energy from. We're going to double down on that and really be mindful and thoughtful continuously jot down notes think about like what is really inspirational to you and that's the best way to really hone in on where you want to invest more time in your future because life is short and life is precious and we should do as much as we can where we really enjoy that moment so i think in my coaching with people and my clients that i work with oftentimes um, we go fairly deep on understanding their roots their kind of early life and understanding what drew them to where they are today, 
or some of those things or conditions that they've built into their mindset that they want to break or kind of unleash. So if you think back to your own childhood, I'd love to really just know, like, what did Brad think he really wanted to be when he grew up? Like, what was your vision? Every kid wants to be an astronaut, a basketball player, a musician, whatever it is. What was that for you that you thought you wanted to pursue? Well, you know, it evolves as you go from, you know, five to 10 to 15. I think the most clear vision I had as I would, you know, get into you know, high school would be, a, I was going to try to be a medical doctor. And more specifically, I wanted to be an ER doctor. Mm. Um, which in retrospect, like, I can't imagine sort of a worse fit given, you know, I'm just not super comfortable with, you know, blood and whatnot. But I do think there's actually a, a linkage into the type of work I do, which is you know, turnarounds and restructuring and, you know, what I call transformational leadership. And I do think that some of the things that drew me to the crisis moment in a person's life, right, they're in the ER, are the same, like, psychological patterns that draw me to that same moment in a company's life. So, you know, I'm not sure that if that's too much of a stretch, but I, 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 can, re I can almost see my 12 or 15-year-old self having a feeling about being an ER doctor, which is not dissimilar than the feeling I have about my day to day now. I think you're spot on, right? From uh, ER doctor to transformational CEO who inspires people, but there is this element of wanting to kind of fix or tweak, especially under pressure, right? ER doctors are, in my humble opinion, one of the hardest places to be as a medical professional because you're operating under pressure and you're not always going to make the right decisions. And I think that's really reflective of what's happening as a CEO, right? Especially through a pandemic, right? Every CEO right now is arguably an ER doctor to some extent, if we could draw that analogy. So I find it quite interesting. Oftentimes when people talk about what their aspirations were as a child, often kind of come through in a different form later in their life. And they, and they kind of tie that back and realize this is exactly what I like to do, right? So if you're maybe on some sports team, male or female, oftentimes you have that same type of energy where you like to be in vibrant environments. You like to work with teams. Other people naturally want to work by themselves and they're okay with that. They might gravitate towards a profession that doesn't necessarily need to collaborate in a team. So I find that so fascinating when That's we- That's so true. That's so true. Even my sports career, which wasn't distinguished by any stretch, uh, the positions I played, the sports I played, the migration of one sport to another, were really trying to become the person that could make a difference, right? And I see that as different than having name and life or being a star or, or the most important or, or best player. But um, you know, to be that galvanizing influence, to make that little play that changes the game, I, I think there's a, there's a huge part of that feeling or, or psychology or need in me um, that's playing out every day now. And, and I don't know if you've read any Duke's book, Thinking in Bets, right? It's a fantastic book on decision-making, a theme, broadly decision-making that I'm, that I'm obsessed with. And you know, what she talks about is being able to make these decisions relative to the context, relative to the moment, relative to the emotional flow, relative to the facts on the table, and then having the confidence to, to get it right more times than not, and also having a short memory. 
psychologically, being able to move on from mistakes and losses. And I, I really do think whether you're an ER doctor or you're a transformational CEO or any sort of impact leader, you've got to have that idea, right? Of play the play, do your best, be thoughtful, be methodical, but let it rip. And if you lose, you lose, right? If you make a mistake, you make a mistake. Like having the self-confidence to shrug it off a bit. So let's unpack that a little bit more because I think that's arguably one of the most important things to learn in your 20s is how to brush it off, shrug it off, right? Uh, we face so many different things in our 20s. And obviously, like we can easily talk about the good moments, but what the, the main reason I started this podcast is to connect with people like yourselves who have that level of success, but truthfully have made a lot of mistakes, have suffered through some difficult moments in their career. And especially in your 20s, that shapes you, that impacts you psychologically and really kind of falters maybe some of those challenging moments that you have throughout your career. So look, like people get bad reviews. They might not get the raise they want. They might not get the raise they want as fast as they want. They might not get the promotion they want as fast as they want. So what would be your recommendation for somebody that's stumbling through their 20s and maybe has faced some setbacks or challenges or a layoff, unfortunately, especially during a pandemic? How do you rebound from that, right? How do you kind of fall down seven times and get up eight? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm, I'm a big, I'm fascinated by this idea of our, of our self story, right? our, our internal narrative which you know through kind of the the buddhist lens is super toxic um and you know if we think about what matters to us like the city we live in right the you know romantic relationships we have our, our social network our our title you know much of it doesn't matter ever if we're being like totally blunt and honest with ourselves it doesn't matter with anybody else it just matters in here right and then even when you unpack it, it's this like kind of thumb up, thumb down judgment of our life that constantly is schooling in our brain. So the best, the biggest advice, biggest and best advice I could give to anyone, age aside, ambitions aside, is to try to unpack or move away from that, you know, self story that's kind of ridiculous. And once you free yourself of of this judgment, do I have the right job, or the right title, the right relationship, you get back to purity, right? And I think what it does is it circles back to the conversation we were having earlier, which is to focus on work and relationships that drive joy into our lives. And, you know, it, it doesn't take much studying and career journeys to show that there are so many different ways to success and so many ways to find fulfillment. And, you know, sometimes the most indirect path you know, the mistake you encounter or the, or the challenge or tough moment that you sort of get blindsided by ultimately opens the door to, to growth. Uh, I've had several of them in my life. You know, my daughter had a, had a difficult medical diagnosis last September. And um, while it was a horrible two, three, four months after that, the reflection I had on my life and how I want to live my life going forward, the types of work I want to do, could not have come any other way, right? Or I was not a strong enough person to find that learning any other way. But, you know, there's, I had, I had career setbacks, right? I had bad projects. I had, you know, investments that I was working on that were going sideways. And, 
if I think back on all the lessons I've really collected, how to be better, how to know myself better, they mostly came from those bad moments. Um, and so if, you, if you've got the maturity or the awareness to see them for what they can be, um, in some sense, you should embrace them, right? And you should look for more of those types of challenging, difficult, disappointing moments, because that's the true, that's the true path to growth, if you ask me. First of all, I appreciate you sharing that, and I hope everything with your daughter is just fine and okay. Um, I think you hit on something again that's really important to reflect on, which is I often say that the quality of your life is directly predicated on the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. So in those moments when things are extremely challenging, I think the lens through which we think about why is this happening to me? versus also asking yourself, why is this happening for me, right? And thinking about the opportunity cost of learning in that moment and sitting in that fear, sitting in that discomfort and processing that you're going to be just fine. This isn't a life and death moment, unless it truly is. But most of the time in business, things are not life and death. Even if you lose your job, the reality is you'll probably find an, another job within six to 12 months. So you will at some point be able to put food on the table and survive. So sit in that discomfort, process it and move forward and learn. And that's how we get better. And now as we kind of fast forward back to today and your current role and think about like all those lessons learned from your past, you were tapped on the shoulder by SoftBank to come in mid-flight and keep running this company called FAIR. And I think FAIR is doing so many incredible things. And I'd love to hear directly from you, kind of expand on what FAIR is, what the vision is, and what you're doing today to really push things forward. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right in that the FAIR mission uh, as, a, as a concept really captured my imagination. Um, and there's a lot of derivatives back to what, you know, our team did at, at ExoJet and that, you're taking a depreciating asset um, and you're trying to find the right moment for consumers to use that asset so that their total cost of ownership is as low as possible. And in doing so, hand them value, uh, mobility at a, at a reasonable price, seamless, elegant experience. And then they can take those, those monthly savings and reinvest them in their life in other ways, whether it be through investment, which I hope they do, 401k, uh, investing in their children, et cetera. Um, and so for me, there's, you, know, you can look at there as a product and a, and a set of subscriptions and used car leases, or you can look at it as, as an idea. And the idea for me is what really captures my heart. And that is helping people acquire and use used car vehicles in the absolute best way possible. Um, we used to have a phrase at, at ExoJet, which was a better, smarter way to fly, a better, smarter way to fly privately, of course. Um, and in this, I, it, it's a very similar concept, a better, smarter way to have a car. Um, and so for people who are looking for mobility over a trophy purchase, you know, mobility over a certain sort of high-end vehicle, I don't think there's any company on planet Earth that can, in a more seamless, elegant, value-oriented way, deliver a vehicle. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into that, right? We have to underwrite the consumer risk and the asset risk and the, the logistics and the support and the customer service infrastructure. And many of those things we're developing on the fly. So we're not where we need to be. But um, I, truly, I truly believe in the mission. Um, and I truly believe that 
you know, in a world now where there's more things to buy and consume products and services and more expectations for, you know, having the latest, greatest phones, if we can put an additional 10 or 15 or $20 in people's budget every month and get them, you know, a high quality uh, car, then we've done our job. I think the first time we connected and we talked about FAIR and the analogies that we drew out of just the broader mission of what the organization is doing is really giving people back a, let's call it a dollar, and then giving you back a percentage of that dollar to do quite literally whatever you want, rather than sinking in your own capital into an asset that the second you take it off the lot is going to depreciate immediately. Now you have this opportunity for people to, as you said, hopefully invest that money into things that will propel their future and give them more opportunity down the road. Um, the concept is brilliant. Obviously, it's going to take some time to mature and for the market to really wrap their head around the value of this. Um, but as kind of the, of the constantly evolving world of Uber, Lyft, ride sharing, transportation as a whole changes, uh, I see this picking up because I can't see a world where an individual is going to want to pay a ton of capital for an asset that's going to depreciate a lot of the time. And we live in a world of consumerism and part of career meets world is to change that mindset is to help mm -hmm. people understand that if you have a whole paycheck, most of it shouldn't be going to products that you probably won't care about in, I don't know, a month, a year, two years. Uh, most of the time we need to invest in ourselves personally, right? It could be health wise. It could be even going on a vacation. I would call it an investment in your mental health. But to me, there's so much value in that and how we think about money is what attracts me personally to fair. So uh, I personally might consider even getting rid of my, my car and shifting over to this model as well. Um, but Brad, as you think about like, what these consumers can do with their extra dollars. Do you ever see a world in where you personally help educate them as well or, or think about that, or maybe that's part of your marketing conversation? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. And, and it's one, you know, with um, all of this, you know, talk about day trading and the percentage of, you know, capitalization in publicly traded companies that now sits in the hands of individual investors. Like there's certainly a narrative there. Um, you know, I, I don't think so in the short term. And I think the reasons for that are the company's focus needs to own an asset class. It needs to have a, a crisp vision. It needs to do that well. Um, you know, I would like to be a public voice in doing exactly what you're doing, right? Which is to encourage people to be more mindful about their career and, and their money. I think it's really dangerous. And, and I will sort of stand up and, and castigate uh, the consumerism that permeates everything, right? You know, if you've got a two-year-old iPhone, is it good enough or do you need the latest, right? Just keep the one you have. Like, if you just got a raise, should you upgrade your apartment or your house just because you can or should you start investing? You know, I, it's just shocking to me how little people understand the value of compound interest, right? And I think our education system as a, as a country is failing uh, our future um, by not educating people on statistics and financial terms. Like these things are core to how to live a good life. And um, so, you know, we may not as, as, a, as fair, you know, provide investment accounts or investment advice or financial planning, but 
we can certainly be an advocate for how to think differently about your paycheck. Um, and I will always be vocal about this. Well, I appreciate that. And again, that's a huge reason why we connected and why this makes a ton of sense in terms of alignment between what FAIR is doing and what Career Meets World is doing. With that being said, though, uh, I do appreciate you jumping on. But before we kind of let you off the hook, as with every single one of our guests, I want to make sure we put you through the hot seat. And despite asking you some tough questions already, I want to make sure that we challenge you even more. So, Brad, are you ready? Absolutely. Bring it on. All right, let's do this. So, look, we have talked really deeply kind of around the career side, the finance side. And one of my favorite discussions today, because I personally am a huge believer in blockchain and cryptocurrency, is this. Do you believe that Bitcoin at some point will go to $100,000 or do you feel like it's an asset that's just going to crumble and go down to zero? I don't think you can answer specific to one currency. I will tell you, I think 50 years from now, the US dollar is not like the, the currency standard and that some form of alternative currency will become its replacement. I do. Um, but I'm not, I'm, an, I'm a long-term investor, I'm not a trader. And so I won't give you a short-term answer, I'll give you the long-term one. Perfect, love it. Next question, different topic. So if you had one final dinner and can invite three people in the world to join you in the most incredible meal, who would they be? Anyone? Anyone, alive or dead. And this is my final dinner or it's just a dinner? Your final dinner. Oh, then it's going to be my wife and two children without question. So my best friend, love of my life, the person I want to be with is my wife, Brady. And we have a nine-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. Like there's no, there's no alternative. Such a perfect answer. It's just reflective of who you are. Warm heart. Uh, I think a lot of people obviously will, will talk about some of the most famous people that they can think of, but I appreciate you calling out your family. And uh, one final one for you, really just more of a fun question, right? The, the pandemic has done a lot for people in terms of just like shifting your mindset, how to operate in this new world. Let's say the doors open, we're all free or COVID, uh, maybe a vaccine comes out and we're all past that. Where's the first place you take your family on vacation? This pains my heart. I think we've, I think we've got to go to Europe or something like that. I mean, our kids are getting a little bit older. Um, and, you know, travel, I think, is one of the great casualties of, of COVID, right? This idea of adventure. There are different ways to do it, but um, the world is smaller when we travel and you see more and you experience, I think, both the old world and sort of even nature, nature exploration. It just, it just expands your mind, right? And um, I will say I, I, miss, I miss traveling more than I thought I would. Um, and I try not to think about it right now because it's you know, not practical in many ways, but... Um, yeah, it would it'd be great. And, and, and my kids are just getting to the age now where I think getting out there and sharing our history as a, as a species um, is a really powerful thing for them. And it will be certainly enjoyable for Brady and I. But I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of places I want to go. Absolutely. Uh, travel is just so important for the the mindset evolution, especially for young children. You get exposed to culture and food and just a different way of thinking. And 
personally, I was really fortunate. Uh, being an only child, my parents afforded me the opportunity to travel a lot when I was younger, partly because they never had that opportunity growing up in Ukraine and the borders were closed outside of just the broader Soviet Union. So for me, I look at that time now as a way to be a better business person and to collaborate with people, especially internationally. So it doesn't matter what age you are right now and listening, whenever the, the doors are wide open, travel, explore, learn, engage with other cultures, because that's just the best way that we're going to become a better society globally. Like quite literally, that's that's something I fundamentally believe in. So I love that you want to take your children to Europe, take your family. I, I hope you get to do that soon. I hope we all get to travel soon. Brad, it was such a pleasure chatting with you today. I think you're a wealth of knowledge and you just have a really good head on your shoulders. The ER doctor in you has made for a phenomenal CEO. Continue doing great things with FAIR. I think it's a such a good model for how to think about how to spend our dollars going forward and a better way to invest in transportation for yourself. So look at FAIR, check it out. Brad, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And as we always say at Career Meets World, go unleash your wildest potential. Thank you for the time. Good to chat with you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.